You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Free Indeed, based on 1 Timothy 4, 1-4, recorded on March 4, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. We are one church in four locations, so you may be watching us in Catanning, Pennsylvania right now, or the Petroleum Valley, or as it's normally called, the beautiful Petroleum Valley, or in Freeport, Pennsylvania, or Indiana. My name is Mike, and I get to bring a message today. It's my honor to do it, but before I do, I want to actually encourage a portion of you to something. And those who aren't in that portion of people, I encourage you to encourage other people in that portion to something. What is that? Uh, We are a church that believes that Jesus Christ wants to reach the whole world. Now, that doesn't make us unique. Um, It's right in the Bible. Um, He he has a worldwide vision because he loves people all over the world from every tribe and tongue and nation. But we also believe that the church is the instrument he uses to reach the nations. And it, it doesn't happen in one effort or overnight. It is a, like continual pushing, a continual pressure. The church of Jesus Christ all over the world should always be exerting a missionary pressure. Obviously, churches have a lot to do wherever they find themselves locally uh, to love and build up and reach out. But every local church, no matter where it is, should have on their mind how can we push the gospel out also. In order to maintain a mission-minded church, we do several things. One is we ask um, our, our elders to all go on foreign mission trips, short-term trips. So they, not so they'll change the world when they're there, but so that they will get a vision for the world. So they will see the need, because people who see people who need Christ normally will fall in love with the gospel more, and, and they will come back and they'll have a vision. So we want our leaders to have a, a mission vision. We also encourage anyone else in the church to join them on those mission trips whenever they go on them, and we try to, to maximize the number of people doing that. We teach our children about how God loves the whole world. We teach our um, students and try to get our students. Our students do go on mission trips every single year. Um, but not only, not only do we want mission-minded people, we actually know that the best missionaries are from churches that build them up to mature Christians and send them out. The worst missionaries are ones that get mad at their church and just go. There are many people on the mission field who shouldn't be there. We feel committed to raising up people, investing in them, taking the best and sending them away if God calls them away. Um, Missionaries come from churches. That's where they come from. They don't come from missionary schools. They come from the church. And so uh, every few years there is an event, a training event, and a a conference, but it is an intense training event for people who are between the ages of 18 and 25. All right, it's every few years only. Um, From the very first one, this will be the third one they've had. Um, We've sent people. I think we had about 12 or 14 the first time, a little over 20 the next time. We'd like to have 30 young adults go this time. Now, it doesn't happen until next January, this coming January in 2019. All right? 
So that means if you are, if you know of or are a high school senior, most likely you can go to this. You may be working or you may be in college at that time. If you're in college, it's during your break. So we want you to sign up to go. If you are already 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, or 24, we want you to go. If you're 25 and your birthday is in February, I think you can still go. All right? Now, the good news for me and, and, and Pastor Scott um, in Indiana uh, is we normally like to chaperone, so we go too. Because you, you can be 18 to 25, or you can be their, it says their leaders. <laughs> I'm your leader, take me to your leader. Why am I telling you about this now? Because since we're committed to this, we as a church commit finances to help it not be too expensive for you. Because we realize people 18 to 24 are not normally, or 25 at their peak earning years yet. So... We try to supplement by helping out with the housing and whatnot, but there are costs, and if we sign up before the end of March, it's only $79 for the conference. Uh, We're Western Pennsylvanians. We're a thrifty people. We try to get the most out of our money, so now's the time to sign up. So if you are listening to my voice and you know college students, we want you to tell them it's time to sign up. If you're a high school student and are going to be eligible, we want you to sign up. And you eat on your Connect card, and you might notice our Connect cards have changed. This is a big deal. They used to be like this. Now they're like this. We did this for Easter. They have risen from the dead. It's <laughs> the best I could do. On the back, it says, sign up for CrossCon. Now, if you're saying, well, I don't know what CrossCon, I don't know, I want to think more. Listen, strike while the iron's hot, you're too you're too, you're too young to, to worry about these things. Trust me, it won't hurt. Sign up if you're even thinking about it. We will give you at least one chance to back out before we ask, do you have $79? What we'd like to do is register at least 30 people this month. And then we can plan and get cheaper hotel rooms all together. We can plan our transportation and we can go. So you have to check that box. Now, if you check that box but don't put your name on the front... Guess what problem that presents for us? (laughs) So we want you to check that box, put your name on the front, and a phone number and email, and I want you to make sure someone gets it in your church. Take it to your welcome desk, hand it to your, your, one of the pastors in the room. Make sure we get this card. Scott, uh, Pastor Scott, who is one of our pastors in Indiana, hi Scott and the folks in Indiana, will handle all these. We'll get in touch with you, and we will make sure that you get registered, Okay. So please do this. I know it's way early for this announcement, but now's the time to do it. So you're planning a year ahead. If you're a parent and you have a, a child who's in a child, and I'm talking like those people in Florida, I'm just a child. You're 18, dude. Uh, you, can, you can go in the army. If you have a young adult in your life who's in the 12th grade, or 11th grade is going to be 18 by the time this comes, please sign them up if they want to go, all right? That's CrossCon. You can look that up at crossforthenations.org. If you're interested, crossforthenations.org, one word, .org. Okay, now those of you who felt like, well, that didn't even apply to me, maybe God will send someone into your path, and it does apply to them. Okay, so we're in 1 Timothy. Have your Bibles? 
Have your smartphones? I have my smartphone right here in my back pocket because I got a great big smart pad right here. 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you'll turn there, that would be wonderful. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 4. 1 Timoteo 4, verses 1 to 4. I'm going to read the text, give you the main point, examine the text, come back to the main point, try to apply the text, and then we're done. Okay? That's the outline. Let's read first. 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 4. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciousness are seers, seared, excuse me, who forbid marriage, who require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything that God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. All right, there's our text. I want to give you the main point first, right? Because there's a lot to examine in this text, that, and I'm going to examine it. I think it's very interesting things, and I don't want us to get lost and lose why we're here altogether. So here's the main point, ready? The main point of this sermon is that Jesus Christ has set us free from all religious laws. Therefore, we must live as a free people. That's the main point. Jesus Christ has set us free from all religious laws. This hopefully will be very good news to you. Um, especially if you're newer to Christ, you are free from all religious laws. Therefore, you must live as a free person. So if you are a Christian, just because you're free doesn't mean you live as someone who is free and you want to do that. Okay, that's the main point. Ready? Three observations about the text. Hopefully you'll see the main point in it, but if not, we're just going to hammer it home at the end. Three observations. Ready? I'm ready. Thank you for answering. Number one. Some will depart from the faith. It's right there in the text. The latter days, some will, latter times, some will depart from the faith. The Holy Spirit tells, the Spirit reveals, the Holy Spirit revealed to the apostle. Now, we have to be careful here, lest you think, well, the Holy Spirit was talking to me, and he said this and that and the other thing. Jesus Christ appointed certain men to be apostles, and it's their job to bring us the Word of God. The New Testament is based on the authority of the apostles that they got from Jesus, and they had to get it directly from Jesus, including Paul, who was untimely born, as he said, because he talked to the resurrected Jesus a lot. So the Holy Spirit talked to Paul. If you think the Spirit is talking to you, and you come up with a brand new word, it's not authoritative. This is... The Spirit says to Paul, in the later days, some people in your church are going to leave the faith. Okay, when is the latter times or the latter days? For the Jewish perspective, the latter times is any time after Christ. Because if you're a Christian and a Jew, your whole world has just been shattered if you believe Jesus. Because All your people depend on their religion to glue them together as a society. 
their priests, their temple service, their laws, their dietary laws, the fact that they don't hang out with Gentiles and they only eat certain foods and they yet go to certain festivals, they say certain prayers, they give their money at certain times, they offer certain sacrifices to certain priests at certain days. All these things have just been wiped away as if they never were there. And now all your faith is in a man, Jesus Christ. So that's a radical redefinition of everything. Imagine if, if, if God came down and he just erased the United States. And he said, I'm not going to put that together. When I come back, that's when you're going to know why I did it. Well, you'd say, well, these are the last days. The former days is back when we had our country. For the Christian who's a Jew, the latter days are from the time of Christ until the next great event in the Bible when he returns. So we all live in the latter days. You live in the latter days. There should be an urgency to the Christian life because you live in the end. Uh, I'm constantly running into this answer when I tell people that. Yeah, but all people thought they were going to live in the end times. (laughs) Does that nullify that you might be the one? You know, does that nullify that it's not cold? Okay, they were wrong, you know. But, but it's like musical chairs, you know. It's, it's, the music will stop, and you might miss your seat. So, so we live in the latter times. Jesus is coming back. Now, what he says is during these times, without all the religious trappings of the Jews, some people are going to simply depart from the faith. They're going to be part of the church, and then they're going to say, I don't believe that. Or they're going to say, I believe this, and it goes another direction. And, and at that, I have to ask the question, how can this be? How can it be that you can have a person who receives eternal life from God, who's born of the Spirit, <laughs> and then they walk away from the faith? If you're not in the faith of Christ, you can't have eternal life. Well, I had eternal life. Can you have eternal life and then not have eternal life? It's not eternal then, is it? It's just for a little while. What is salvation is, 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 is really at risk here. <laughs> how do you walk away? It matters how I answer this question for you. I hope it matters how the Bible answers it for us. How can you walk away from the faith? Can a person be saved and then unsaved? What happens when a person, as we say, gets saved? What happens in that person? According to the scripture, a miracle happens in the spirit. According to us, it's often believing a message and responding in some way, right? So on the human side, like Billy Graham just went to heaven. Before he went to heaven, he'd get up there and he'd give a message. Oh, y'all need to be saved, right? And, and then people would say, oh, I need to be saved. And they'd start playing, just as I am without one plea, except my dog was bit by a flea or however that goes. And then you walk down the aisle, you respond. And when you come up to the front, he leads you in a prayer, and that's it. You're saved. Well, that's from the earthly side. That doesn't tell you if you're saved, actually, because you can walk down an aisle and you can hear a message and you can even pray a prayer and not be saved. So then what makes a person really saved? It's something that goes on within their soul. And God engineers it. Listen to how the Word of God describes this in Ephesians 2. Very important dis- language here. It's that before... You, He's talking to the saved folks here. So he's talking to you who know Jesus. You were dead. That's spiritually dead. Physically walking around. Spiritually, you were dead. In your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now I'm going to skip down from verse 1 to verse 4 and 5. But God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. And then it says, by grace, you have been saved. So to be a, a saved person means you go through life in sin, like all humans, spiritually dead to God. And then by grace, as a free gift, God, because of his mercy, says, get up. And you resurrect, and you're up. Spiritually, you're, you're, you're made alive. Salvation is that inner thing happening. Now, it's connected to the message being preached and the message being believed and the message being responded to. So those aren't empty things happening. They're part of what happens is you hear a message and you respond. But what's really happening on the inside is you went from dead to alive. So if you go from being, from dead to being spiritually alive for the first time, does God kill you and you walk away from the faith? No. Eternal life is eternal. Remember, Adam and Eve weren't even allowed back in the garden. Why? So they wouldn't eat from the tree of life. <laughs> because then they'd have eternal life and be sinners. And God won't have that. Eternal life doesn't go away. If you're alive, you're alive forever. Your sin is taken away. Well, then how is it that some depart from the faith? The answer is people can appear to be saved and not be saved. That's the answer. A lot of people who sit and argue forever about why someone believes one day and leaves and doesn't believe the next day. And they say he was saved and he lost his salvation. And people live in great dread that they're going to lose their salvation. Or that they believed and they had a, a backsliding time. And then they came back and they wonder, will God take me? Or did I lose my salvation and gain my salvation? I once talked to a woman who told me her son was born again nine times. I'm like, how can you be born again nine times? Sounds like some sort of Mormon religion. I don't know. If you're saved, if you're, if you're changed on the inside, you won't become unchanged. But there are people among us who aren't of us. This is not an unusual idea from the Bible. I'm not making this up just so that I can say the Bible says what I want it to say. Jesus gives a couple of parables that shed light. One, he, he says the word of God is like a seed that you throw on the road or in the good soil. But one, some of the... Seed falls right next to the road. And it springs up. And then the sun hits it and it dies. And then Jesus says what that is, is people who hear the gospel and they like it. And they think this is good. And they spring up because they believe it. In quotes. (laughs) It says, but as soon as persecution hits because of the word, they leave it. It As soon as it causes trouble, they say, well, I don't want this. You see, they, they were never saved. Or, one that's even more clear than that, Jesus talks about wheat and tares, tares being wheat. And he said a man had his his servants plant seeds in his field of wheat, and then his enemy came at night and and planted tares. That's that's a jerk. That is an enemy. And uh, he plants weeds in this guy's field. And when they both begin to grow together, his servant comes back and says, Master, your enemy has done this. He has planted weeds, tares, in the midst of your wheat field. And, uh, grr, this is a bad guy. What should we do? Should we go and tear up all those weeds? The master says, no, no, don't do that, lest by accident 
you tear up the wheat. Instead, let them grow together. At harvest time, it'll be very easy to separate them. It'll be obvious which one is the wheat and which is not. What's the application of that? You're going to have people in the church who look saved and aren't. But you don't go around being the salvation police. Let me rip that one out. Let me rip that one out. You don't know who they are. There was a couple days around the death of Christ where Peter and Judas both looked pretty bad. One was a wheat, one was a tear. <laughs> Rather, at harvest, they'll be separated. But that's not all. John, in his, in his first letter, says this of some people. They went out from us, John two, 1 John 2.19, But they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Some people who who fall from the faith in the later days, they were never one of us. They were never saved. They had their own reason, their own agendas for being in our midst. But who are those who are saved? Those who continue in the faith. In a letter to the Corinthians, Paul says something uh, interesting about the same idea. He says in 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen to 19, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. He doesn't like that, by the way. One major theme of 1 Corinthians' letter is stop being divided. He doesn't like it. He wants unity. But watch what he says this. He says, I hear there are divisions And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. What's he saying? He's saying, look, church can have division for two reasons. One, the Christians are acting stupid. The Christians are in sin. Their pride, our pride can well up and we can fight with one another and want to get our way and not give in and hold grudges. We could just be stupid Christians who need to repent of our sin. But there's another division that can come into your church. And that's when people who aren't truly believers get some sort of leverage, some sort of responsibility, some sort of power. And, and according to Paul, that brings division so you will know who's genuine. You know, the, the, the disunity is coming from those people because they don't follow Christ. Very interesting to think that, that non-safe folks can cause trouble in church when given responsibility. I've seen that. I will not tell any stories. Not now. Second observation is that demons lead people with lies. Demons lead people with lies. Demons, uh, people, people get freaky about demons. They want to be afraid of demons in a lot of different levels. They want to be afraid of monsters and people inhabiting them and heads spinning around like on the exorcist and, and weird things, right? <laughs> that don't expect that to be the norm in your life. <laughs> That's not, demons work in lies. It's their number one way. The, the devil is the father of lies. His minion work in lies. Now, you might be saying, well, good, I'm glad to know. I'm not, as a Christian, you're not going to be possessed by the devil. You go, great. I don't want to go through that. I've seen it in the movies. It looks horrible. And in all the possession movies, it, have you ever noticed that the last, the, last, the, the last person you want to call to help is the priest? I don't know why that. He shows up with a cross and the demon kills him. I'm like, that didn't work. The, but on another level, because it's lies they deal in, 
you probably have more to worry about than you thought. Anyway, let's look back at our text. It said this, those who leave the faith are devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Do they know this? No, they don't, (laughs) but they're doing that. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, there is a devotion to deceptions. You know, within the Christian world, you can have people who peel off to great deception and they're devoted to it. They sell out to it. And they don't know it, but because they don't belong to Christ, Satan has no trouble deceiving them. Demons lie and they teach people to believe lies. And in your life, I want you to know, don't let this frighten you, but you're in a war every day, whether you fight it or not. What you often think is discouragement is a spiritual battle. What you often think is confusion is a spiritual battle. What you often think is, is I don't know what to do and I'm angry and I'm frustrated and I can't figure this out. You are in a war and you are not fighting. You are a soldier. This is a war. If you don't fight, the other guy beats you up. And Satan does do that. You are in a battle. We don't know how. I don't know how. Demons influence us. I don't know how they influence us. I cannot see the spiritual realm and neither can you. There are, there are Christians who will tell you they can. They'll run a deliverance ministry and they'll get you so freaked out by demons, you'll be no good to anybody. But I can't see the spiritual realm and neither can you. So I don't know what demons are doing. They have some way of influencing, some way of communicating to the human mind. I don't know what it is. I wouldn't worry about it. Why? Listen to what the Bible says. Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is why, listen to me, you people who are fighting for what is good in your country that you love, you're fighting for truth, justice, and the American way, just like me. And I'm thinking politically. This matters. You're fighting for good things. Be careful, because you think you're fighting political opponents, and you're not. Do not fall into what you see in the nation around you of people hating one another, labeling those who disagree with them as evil and hating them. Do not hate anyone politically. You're not wrestling them. You're wrestling Satan. They're not the enemy. They're the people we're trying to reach for Christ. So fight the good fight, but fight it like like Jesus would with love. And you can say, well, how, how can I fight in the spiritual realm? I can't see demons. Well, the, the answer is really simple. You trust the armor. I'm not going to go through the armor of God that's in, in the letters there. And you say, well, I'm going to leave you helpless. I'm not. It's, it's simple stuff. I mean, the, the armor of God is you're shod with the feet of the gospel, right? Which means you're guided by this idea that I come to this nation to bring light, to bring salvation. You know, blessed on the mountain are, are the feet of him who brings good news. You're the, you know, the feet... Are, are, are of the gospel, you know, and then the loin of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. <laughs> the, 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 you are not a sinner. 
Satan is not in control of you. You've been made righteous by the blood of Christ and what was there's the helmet of salvation. Don't think too hard. You don't have to put something on every day. It's already on. It means the devil can't take you out with a headshot. But the, the two pieces to think about the most, that are the most easy to understand, is the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And really, that's where the freedom is going to come from, fighting Satan. The shield of faith, the Bible says, is able to extinguish all the attacks of Satan. Well, what's faith? It's not believing things. It's trusting someone. Maybe that'll help, right? Because we can think faith is, well, I got to believe this truth, believe this truth, believe this truth, believe all these things. You do have to believe truths. You do. But that's not faith. Faith is trusting someone. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him? Just say, yeah. Who's going to protect me from Satan? Jesus. That's the shield of faith. That's all that is. Asking and answer that question. That's it. Every fiery dart. But then I have a sword. I have a sword to slay, to break chains, to kill in the spiritual realm. And that sword is the word of God. And this is where, (laughs) those two areas are where Christians get beat up. They just, pain comes. And the lies come. And and they stop trusting that Jesus is really going to be there for them. But I'm scared and I'm confused and I'm angry and I don't know what's going to happen and this and that and blah, blah, stress, stress. You just put your shield down, you're letting Satan beat you up. And you have no sword because I don't know. The Bible says something, I'll get to it one day. Well, you, you, you can't even fight. In any case, Satan is at war with you, and his number one tool is lies. Stand and fight. The third and final observation is seeking righteousness by way of physical religious ritual is wicked. Seeking righteousness by way of Physical, religious, there's something attractive to say, if I light a candle, I will have a prayer going up for hours. Something attractive about that. There's something attractive about being able to do something to make myself righteous. In the text, the religious things are they're forbidding marriage and abstaining from certain foods. Some taught that God required these practices in order to be righteous, abstain from marriage and certain foods. Why why is it attractive to people to have those or any other religious rituals to do? Um, There's probably many reasons. One, though, I think is leaders get power from that. Religious leaders can, rituals can... By lead, leaders can monitor religious rituals. We can, if I make a lot of rules, I can watch to see if you do it. Right? You're not dressed the way I told you to dress. You're not reading the version of the Bible I told you you had to read. You're not listening to the kind of music I told you. You're not going to the establishments I told you you should, and you're not staying out of the ones I told you you got to stay out of. If I can come up with rituals, you're not praying the beads. You're not burning the candles. If I can come up with the rituals, I can enforce them. And it gives me power because I am the rule keeper, therefore I am righteous. But then to the people, it gives them a way to be praised. Look at me. I do the rules, not like this schlub who sits next to me in the pew. 
it's wicked. Paul says, no. Now, in that particular case, he says, look, we know in the scripture you're free to just eat vegetables. If you don't want to eat meat, don't eat meat. But all food is clean. So don't start a religion where you say you're not righteous if you eat certain things. And, and he's, if you want to be single, you're free to be single. You are free. You never have to marry. That's your choice. You're free in Christ. You, you don't have to worry or feel guilty about that choice. But don't ever tell other people they can't marry because it makes it unrighteous. Modern examples of those two. I don't know if sitting on them helps, but the Roman church, as far as marriage goes, uh, the, the most holy people are the nuns and the priests, women who don't marry, men who don't marry. Martin Luther, back in the 1500s, decided one of the best things he could do to reform the Roman church as a priest was marry a nun, and he did. But we're not the Roman church here. We're Protestants. <laughs> Uh, it's amazing. I did a Google search on food. I'm amazed at how many Christians out there believe that they're spiritually more righteous if they av- avoid certain foods. Uh, many Christians forbid eating pork or sel- shellfish. Seventh-day Adventists as a denomination forbid it. It's not clean. It's not holy. You don't have to eat pork if you don't want to. You don't have to eat lobster if you don't want to. You never have to eat crab cakes. I don't even like crab cakes. (laughs) I don't like anything that's called cake that doesn't taste like cake. (laughs) But you're not more holy because you don't eat it. When it comes to food, everything you eat is holy if it's received with thanksgiving with a couple of exceptions. There's so much easy confusion about the Jewish law. The Jewish laws, they were moral, ceremonial, and civil. The ceremonial, the civil had to do with the nation of Israel in the time before Christ. That's it. You don't have, the civil mandates of the Leviticus don't go in any other society. The Bible never says they do. I hear critics of the Bible say, it says you're not allowed to have two kinds of cloth. Ha, 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 ha. Well, that's stupid. Christians were never told that, nor were any non-Jews. It's just for Israel. And as far as the dietary rules, it had a whole other point. But all the world was given dietary rules by God before there were any Jews, before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were born, before anyone was named Israel who had 12 sons, there was Noah. And he got off an ark, And he began the human race again after Adam and Eve started it and sin got in and God wiped everyone out and says, let's start over and listen to what God said to the entire human race when he talked to Noah and his sons. Genesis 9, 1 to 4, and God said, God blessed Noah and his sons and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, get busy. (laughs) And (laughs) the fear of you... And the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they're delivered. Animals are going to be generally afraid of human beings. Even domestic ones if you don't raise them with human beings. Um, That's because of sin. Animals shouldn't do that. You know, shouldn't need cages at the zoo, but you do. (laughs) Then it says, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. 
as I gave you the green plants, I now give you, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. That means don't eat living things. Don't eat things while they're still alive. And also, he says, but I'm not going to read that in the verse after, don't eat humans. Don't kill humans. <laughs> Thou shalt not kill is given to all of us, not just Jews. So you can eat anything. In Korea, they're eating dogs, right? That was a big thing in the Olympics. They were, there was a dog farm nearby, and some athlete I read brought dozens of dogs home. Why, I don't know. We got a lot of dogs here. They can go down to the shelter and get some dogs. Let the people eat those dogs if they want to eat them. I know. We don't eat dogs as Americans. It's not our value. And we're not unrighteous for not eating them. And we're not righteous for not eating them either. They're allowed to eat them. You can eat grasshoppers if you want. Who wants a grasshopper? Get one. Don't eat puffer fish. Unless you're in a very expensive Japanese restaurant. If it moves, you can eat it. Now, centuries later, Moses gave dietary laws to Jews. Why did he do it? I can't tell you how many times I've read or heard people say, the reason God told the Jews not to eat pork and not to eat crustaceans and not to eat certain birds was because those things aren't healthy for the human body and then they try to give you some science to throw in there. You know what? That's a bunch of garbage. You will not find that anywhere in the Bible. It says, don't eat them because I am holy. And he never really explains it. I think you can guess. The animals and birds you're not allowed to eat are generally ones that eat dead things. You can eat a cow, but, but you can't eat a pig. A pig will eat anything. You can eat a fish, but don't eat a crustacean because they're down there eating whale droppings or whatever they eat. But that doesn't always go. Horses don't eat dead things, as far as I know. You can't eat a horse. You, can't eat, you can eat birds, but you can't eat crows and birds of prey and eagles and stuff. This is for the Jews. It's symbolic. It has nothing to do with health. Nothing to do with health. Nothing to do with health. Not in the scripture. And it's just for Israel. And why does he do it? He tells them why. Because I am holy. I am calling you a people apart from all the other peoples to be different. Not more righteous, but you're going to have priests who wear certain clothes that that say, we're different. You're not going to eat certain foods because we're different. You're not going to, you're going to wash your hands at certain times, do certain festivals, kill certain animals on certain dates and say certain prayers while you do it. Why? Because I'm holy. In other words, all the stuff that goes into kosher Jewish religion that is not moral. I'm not talking thou shall not kill and thou shall not you know, rape people and stuff. Those are moral issues. But the things that are just for the Jews, they're meant to separate Jews from the rest of the world. They're meant to symbolize the holiness of God. And they're meant to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. Now, you may say, I don't know how it does it. It doesn't matter that you don't know how. That's what Jesus, that's what God says. Because I'm holy, you do these things. They were killing lambs to a lamb because, and then offering prayers as if by offering this lamb, it's in response to the sin of the people, right? They kill a goat and they offer it to God as a response to the sin of the people, right? 
This is a symbol of the Christ. So when Jesus came, John the Baptist, the first person to identify him as Savior, points at him, or I always think of him as pointing, but I don't think the Bible says it points at him, but he pointed, I'm pretty sure, both hands. And he said, (laughs) in my mind he's pointing. He's saying, he said, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You don't call a man a lamb and then kill him because human sacrifice is forbidden to the Jews. But he did. Why? Because all those lambs and goats didn't take away the sins of the people. They were just placeholders until Jesus came. But the innocent one, the Son of God, Jesus, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when he died on a cross for the sins of the world, his blood was payment enough for everyone, past, present, and future, so any of us can be forgiven of our sins, washed clean, born again, go from dead to alive, and live forever in heaven. Are you with me? That's a good place to say amen. Okay? You're the only one? Okay. Amen. But then watch this. Since he did that work, what happens to the priest's clothes and the temple and the the not eating certain foods and the killing of animals? What happens to all that? It's done away with. The ceremonial rituals were supposed to end. Why do you think this was such a threat to non-believing Jews? A sect of them were setting aside what was most important. They were threatened. Their way of life was threatened. Doing these things were very attractive. (laughs) The priests had a lot of power. They were holy. And they were the cops. They said, you're not keeping the Sabbath right. You're not doing this right. You're not eating that right. You're not. And you... Definitely none of you should be hanging out with the Gentiles or eating their food. And their followers could say, look, I'm holier than my brethren. And they like that. Religious habits are hard to break. Christians, I often will see, are bound by religious ritual. And they don't need to be. They're like people freed from slavery who wear chains. Religious habits are hard to break. In Acts chapter 10... One of, the, one of the persons having trouble breaking religious habits was Peter, the great apostle. He was told by God, take the gospel to the Gentiles. That presents a problem for a Jew. Jews don't go into Gentiles' homes. You don't go into non-Jews' homes because it's unclean. And they don't eat their food. So God brought a vision to Peter and he dropped a sheet down and all kinds of foods were on it that were not clean, including reptiles. Who here eats Reptiles. Some of you say, oh, I love to eat snake. Don't make fun of that guy. He's allowed to eat. Is that an amphibian or a reptile? Thank you. I got that one right. Doesn't happen often in science class. You can eat a snake. But Peter was looking at reptiles and pig probably in that. We don't know what was in that blanket. But he said, I'm not eating any of that. I've never eaten unclean food. God said, if I say it's clean, it's clean. Now, it was about the food, but it wasn't about the food. It was about the people who eat that food. Because at that moment, some men came because a a Gentile had had a vision. Cornelius, the non-Jew, had had a vision. And he said, send for Peter. So Peter went to Cornelius' house. And while there, he brought some Jews with him. They went in and received the hospitality of Gentiles. Oh my, this is not right. They preached the gospel to them. The Gentiles believed. They stayed with them overnight and they ate their unclean food. 
There are Christians today, Seventh-day Adventists aren't the only ones who teach, no, Jesus didn't want you to think all food was clean. They're just twisting the scripture. You can eat anything you want. A lot of people now are into diets that they're being told, these are the diets that were meant for us because we were hunter-gatherers before we were agricultural. That's just stupid. That's based on evolution and a lie. We were agricultural. We ate vegetables right from the start. It's in the Bible. Adam and Eve ate vegetables. As far as we know, they don't eat, didn't eat meat. They might have. It's really hard to say. But I'd lean toward they didn't. But if they didn't, their tongues were, 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 they weren't, they were pre-sin tongues. If you have a pre-sin tongue, food's got to taste better. And I think pre-sin apples, there was no curse. So apple had to taste better because ain't, I ain't living on apples in God's good earth if there's meat around. But you got to think apples taste like steak. That's what I think. But we know they ate it. We know that Cain was a worker of the ground and he was the first son born of man. So we've always had wheat. We've always had steak because Abel kept flocks. So we covered the text. Back to the main point. Shouldn't take long because it is really in all that text. The main point of the sermon, if you look on your map, it's the first thing you said, is that Jesus Christ has set us free from all religious laws. Therefore, this is just one example. We must live as free people. You are free now. Righteousness does not come to you by religious things. It does not come to you by religion. It does not come to you by any practice of religion you do. It doesn't come by what you do with your body. It doesn't come because you bow your head. It doesn't come because you eat certain foods. It doesn't come because you sing certain songs. It, it, it doesn't come by any religion. You're free from religiousness. <laughs> Righteousness is given to you as a gift. Here's the thing I hope we'll grasp to understand the freedom of God. Right? It's going to feel like it's coming out of left field, but they're related. Ready? You cannot supply the righteousness God requires of you. Right? You could say, well, I was good. I prayed my prayers. I did whatever the pastor said since I was a little boy. I went, and this isn't me, by the way, but I always obeyed my mommy and daddy. I always went to Sunday school. Always, and some of you really were good kids. You really, some of you, I'm describing, I'm describing my own some my own kids, really. They were really easy kids to raise. Or I beat them. <laughs> and then they returned to easiness. I did not beat my children. You know, Got to be careful these days. People will get... I spanked on the bottom. On the buttocks. But my kids are pretty easy. They were raised in church. They obeyed. They did the right thing. No matter how hard they try, they cannot supply God with the righteousness he requires of them. They're sinners. We're all sinners. So here's the key. The righteousness God requires, God supplies. That's what we call the gospel message, the good news. He requires perfect righteousness, so he supplied his son Jesus who was perfect. He requires the blood sacrifice, He supplies it to himself, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he rose from the dead and he gives the life that he requires of you. 
You're, if you're a Christian, you're righteous right now, even though you might not feel it. You say, well, why don't I feel it? Because we fight in the flesh against slavery, condemnation. But really, you're free of all that. You're righteous. You say, but I'm not, I'm not. Do you see the tug of war? I just told you. You never were responsible for supplying the righteousness God demands. Do you know how much righteousness that is? Ready for this one? The righteousness he requires is the righteousness his righteousness requires him to require. The the level of righteousness he requires from you is is the standard that comes from within himself. He can't ask for less than that perfect standard. You don't supply it. The righteousness he requires, God supplies for himself. Therefore, you are free of the law. Your righteousness does not depend on your good behavior. And all your bad behavior is under the blood of Christ. Scripture says this. I'm not going to take it apart, but with what we're talking about, I think God's Holy Spirit will speak to you if you'll think about what he says here. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death? That's the idea that if I supply my righteousness, I will be judged by my sin and I will be punished. But instead, the Spirit has set me free by teaching me the gospel. How did that happen? For God has done what the law, weak by the flesh, could not do. Why is the law weak? Because of my flesh. (laughs) The law says, here's the righteous standard of God, keep it. And then the law looks at my flesh and goes, this ain't gonna work. We're gonna have to kill that one. That's what the law says. The law brings me death. He ain't gonna, bad egg, bad egg, bad egg, bad egg, all of us. But what the law could not do, it says here, God has done. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of this sinful flesh. He looked like a man. He was a man. He was like us. And he sent him for sin and he condemned that sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us. The righteousness God requires, God supplies. So righteousness is a gift. Christian, you're righteous right now. I I hope just hearing the words, the Holy Spirit makes you start to feel lighter because you should. It's true. Can I believe it? You can believe it. And that means liberation. If Christ died for your sins and that's your righteousness, it's not on you. What's that equal? Freedom! Freedom from what? Religion! (laughs) Is that all? No! The power of sin! You can overcome it now! Many Christians live believing that they can't overcome sin. They're believing the lies of the devil. They're not trusting God. When they're free, walking around with chains on. Take those chains off in the name of Christ. I can't. Oh, I can't stop doing this sin because, oh, I'm just weak, brother. You Stop it. Why are you doing this? Push them off. Push them off. They're not attached to you. You're free from the guilt of your past. I just can't forgive myself. Oh, are you more righteous than God who forgave you? 
It's changed. Push it off. But I did evil. But Jesus did righteousness for you. Push it off. It's over. You can't undo it, but Christ paid for it. Freedom from condemnation. That feeling that you're just never good enough. You're not performing well enough. You're free of that. The voice will come to your head every day if you let it. Freedom from the punishment of sin. Freedom from the fires of hell. Freedom from the decay of death. Freedom of sorrow and pain. Free to live forever, holy before God, receiving all that he has. Free to be alive. So many times as a pastor, I answer practical questions with this answer. We're free in Christ. I think I say it so much, people think it's just a phrase. Like, look here, look here, look here. But it's not. I, su- I can't tell you how many times I, I answer questions with, I preface it, well, in this case, we're free in Christ. What do I mean by that? People are looking, Christians, I want to do exactly what God wants. I want to do exactly what God wants. Should I move to Omaha or should I move to, to Florida? I don't know. What, what does God want me to do? Chill, you're free in Christ. You can move to Omaha, you can move to Florida. You're free. You're not bound. God is not going to be mad at you. <laughs> and in, within church, people always want to make a rule. Pastor, what do we do? So-and-so's doing this and it's messing stuff up. What do we do? Let's make a rule. No Christian rock and roll. That's, what they, that's where it comes from. The day they put drums in church, the day I walk out of church. Let's just make a rule. They're of the devil. Well, that's fun. But you're free in Christ. You're free in Christ. You can't meet on Friday night. Why not? We're free. We're free. You can't go to church and not wear a tie. I'm free. I don't even know how to spell love. And it's okay. I think it's spelled L Georgia V E. We are the children of God. We inherit all things. We are bound, but only by one rule. And it's a rule that's free. Love one another. Jesus said in John 8, to the Jews who believed in him, the Jews who say, I like you. And he, listen to what he says to them because he gives us the way we're to walk, Christians, to walk in freedom. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. The sign that you're mine is you follow my word. And then look what he says. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I can't get rid of this sin. You can. How? Abide in his word, brother. It will set you free. He will do it. Do you see? It's an ongoing process of the Christian life. It's not a one-time event. We live in this world. We're always feeling the chains on us and wanting to put them back on us. Satan lying to us, telling us we're, we're not free. And they're lies. I remember once I was so I was a new Christian and I was just despairing. And some guy was trying to encourage me, a Christian, and I just said, Oh, but Marlon, it, Satan just just keeps telling me this. And he looks at me in the eye and goes, Satan, he's lying. And it hit me. Why am I quoting him? He lies. Do you see the pattern? If you live in his word, you are my disciples. You're gonna have an ongoing pattern of knowing the truth, and the truth will set you free. Is that pattern working in your life? Because if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. The Christian has been a Christian a while will, will be, should be able to testify this is happening. Things that they were 
they thought they were bound in yesterday, they're not bound in today. And they look back and say, you know what, I never really was. (laughs) What was wrong with me? And then it happens again and again and again. Anyone here can say amen to that? And if you can't, hopefully you will. The text was religious rituals. Anyone here enslaved to religious ritual? Enslaved to sin? Enslaved to bad? What lies are you believing right now? What do you need to be set free from? If you're struggling emotionally, God put me through an emotional grinder. Not the first time in my life. Might not be the last. I take it from his hand. That's fine, because you know, all it teaches me to do is come back to realizing that every stress I have is an opportunity to remind myself what the Word says and be free again. Oh, the money, the money, the money, the money. We're not going to have enough money. We're going to retire without enough money. I got good news for you. You don't have to retire. Just work till you die. Then you don't have to worry about retirement. I'm serious. And if you ever get so unhealthy you can't work, God will provide someone to care for you. I'm not saying you shouldn't be wise, but if you ain't got the money, don't worry about it. How can you say that? That's irresponsible. How can I not say Jesus said, the birds don't worry and I feed them? Where do you need to be free? Where do you need to be free? Ask the Father to make this dynamic worth in you. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Because if you're living with the Holy Spirit, God will talk to you there. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.